Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of our BPP Diversity and Inclusion podcast. We are here to welcome in the new year 2021 with some positive vibes and interesting conversation on neurodiversity. My name is Patricia Coogan, and I'm studying the PGDL at BPP. I am joined by my two lovely co-hosts, Mohini Katecha and Irene Estathio, who will briefly introduce themselves, followed by our lovely guest and fellow Diversity and Inclusion Ambassador, Lucy Barnes. Hi, yeah, thank you for the intro, Pat. My name is Mohini. I am a current LPC student at BPP and one of the DNI ambassadors. So yeah, thank you for hosting and I'm very excited to get started with this episode. And hi everyone, my name is Irini Efstathiu. I'm a current LPC student at BPP in London and I'm really happy to have our guest here and very excited to begin. Awesome. And today we are joined by our lovely Lucy. Lucy Barnes is a fellow diversity and inclusion ambassador um, and she will be here talking to us about neurodiversity. So if you could briefly introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you so much for the introduction and also thank you for having me. I'm, I'm super excited to have this conversation. Um, so I'm Lucy Barnes and I'm studying the uh, barrister training course to become a barrister, hopefully if I pass <laughs> by the end of um, next year. So, and I've, I graduated from the University of Surrey with a T1 in law. So that's a brief introduction. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure having you. Um, no, obviously, thank you for having me. <laughs> so um, we are, of course, talking about neurodiversity. Um, I myself don't know that much about it apart from what you've spoken about before in your event. But I tried to kind of gauge what it is. Um, so from my understanding, it is there is a spectrum um, where many people do have tendencies that lie on that spectrum, but people who are neurodiverse have significant differences in how they think, um, it affects how they act, and most of the problems for them are not because of how they think, but the barriers to them. Um, so my question to you then is, um, what is neurodiversity to you, and how did you find out that you were neurodiverse yourself? Well, you, you hit the nail on the head there with the with the whole spectrum thing. So neurodiversity, um, so I'm dyspraxic just for the, for the record, it tends to be associated with learning disabilities, um, but I think it's, it's widening now to also include mental health and just in general differences of the brain um, that, that don't exist in a sort of atypical brain, even though we're starting to see that there is no such thing as a normal brain. Um, so it's kind of anything associated with that. So for me, it's dyspraxia, which is like a motor coordination disorder um which affects not only my sort of um physical coordination so that's moving on to, to your second question I was a very clumsy child and that's kind of how people uh, picked up on it um but also mental processing so I'm very slow when I like auditory processing so I don't pick up on 
um, the same sort of auditory cues as, as I guess, I guess, normal people, but I don't like using that phrase. Um, but, you know, so I started noticing this when I was in school, but actually I never got diagnosed in school. So they um, gave me what I call like a bendy pen. I don't know if you ever saw them in school, but it was like a pen that was kind of like rounded. And, if, and now I've Googled it. It's literally called the dyspraxic pen. So this was because my handwriting was absolutely atrocious, still is. So I'm really happy that we're moving into like a typed world rather than a one that relies on handwriting. Um, and also the, 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 the extent of my clumsiness. So it wasn't just like I walked into a door here and there. I was so accident prone. Like I, was just, I spent most of my childhood in hospital um, in, in the most peculiar ways. I, I managed to just get myself in these accidents that no one had any idea how I did them. So um, I guess that was kind of a cue, but no one sort of thought more about it past then. Um, I remember struggling a lot in school um, in certain areas, but then excelling in others. So for example, I'm not a science or math kind of girl. That sort of information really, I really struggled. And I don't think that there was any sort of um, help in place at the time to sort of see that I was struggling there. But then in contrast, you know, English, history, philosophy, those kinds of subjects. Like I was just really good at it. Like I loved joining dots in really kind of hypothetical scenarios and just sort of bringing that together in a really creative way. And that's another thing about neurodiversity um, is that it does actually tend to be um, a sign of creativity. There are so many neurodiverse individuals that end up doing really creative things and they become geniuses in, in, in that. But um, I think unfortunately, because of the way that we have the education system, it kind of teaches you how to uh, tick a box in, in how you learn as opposed to actually learning and learning in ways that suit you. So I think, you know, in school, if I'd have had someone who thought, wow, she is really, really good and really gifted in science, not in science, gosh, the opposite, um, in English, in history and in, you know, philosophy, religious studies, these kind of more essay based subjects then they wouldn't have put so much pressure on me. But sadly, actually, until I went into foster care, um, I was in bottom set everything just because I couldn't do science and math um, to a level that was kind of considered worthy of being put in a top set, which is really unfortunate considering I had to sit the same exams, um, you know, where, where a C grade is your cap. Um, even in English and history and, you know, in subjects that I was clearly good at, but I couldn't, because I couldn't conform with the, the typical standards. So I think that that was really difficult. Um, eventually I did go into foster care and my foster dad fought my corner um, and was like, no, no, we're not doing this. She's going in top set. And I was just there like, oh, okay, <laughs> we're doing that. Um, and it was the best thing because it meant I wasn't capped. And, and how did your um, diagnosis come about? Like how, how, what was the final, I suppose, straw on the camel's back? Yeah, um, great question. So actually, I didn't find out until I was 18. So I went to university and I was in put in a horse um, and I got really good friends with one of the guys in my horse. And I don't know what I did. It was some accident that I did. I walked into something and everyone was like, how does she even do that? And his sister had dyspraxia and I've never heard of this in my life. I, I literally just had no idea what he was talking about. I only knew of dyslexia, which is kind of another problem with neurodiversity. You know, everyone thinks dyslexia or autism and, and that's it. Like no one understands all the other sort of intricacies in the way that the brain sort of acts or shows up differently. Um, so he sort of said, you remind me of my sister. 
and she's she's got dyspraxia and I, and I said I don't, I don't know what, what, what is that um I had no idea what it was and he's like it might be worth like getting it getting it checked out because this was getting like more and more common that I was um you know it wasn't just a clumsiness it was a certain ways if, if you saw the way that I hold a pen you would you would pick up on it um and also the way I hold a knife and fork um there are little little things here and there I can't tie my shoelaces I can't ride a bike um, which I didn't know that these are very sort of textbook dyspraxic traits. Um, so I thought, well, okay, it's, it's not going to cost me anything. I'll go to the learning assessment center because, you know, I might actually get some support. Um, so I went and I did this sort of two and a half hour long assessment where they did various tests actually on just sort of memory and also just sort of, um, like how, how quickly I responded to, to things, how much I could write in a certain time. And it was, it was really long. Um, and then about a week later-ish, I got a report saying that I had dyspraxia. Um, so I was really surprised because I honestly, as I said, I had never heard of this in my life. Um, no one said anything to me at school, even though I did have that sort of pen, which makes me think that they knew, but they didn't do anything about it. Um, and also another thing about neurodiversity, it shows up differently in men and women. Um, and obviously, sadly, you know, our reach for equality hasn't yet extended to understanding that. I think it's progressing in that way. So what is quite obviously a dyspraxic boy shows up very differently in a dyspraxic girl. In a similar way, I think autism works just like that as well. Um, so the signs for me were there, but I just don't think people picked up on it until I went to university and I got the assessment. Um, and then I found out. So it was 18. Mm -hmm. And um, what kind of effects did that have once you found out? What kind of changed? It was like, it was like a, um, a really big sigh of relief because certain things that I did in the past um, in terms of my coordination and just the way that I process information, I always found that I was really abnormal um, and I kind of had a lot of kind of mental health issues surrounding that because I just didn't understand why my brain didn't work the same way as someone else's so it was quite frustrating and obviously like you know in my family um there was a lot of jokes about me being clumsy and all of that which is fine um but you know it really kind of helped me understand myself because it was like a, a real breath of fresh air thinking oh okay so I wasn't just this clumsy strange child um I am that too but <laughs> but there was a reason so I think it really helped me digest sort of the way that that I was um, and accept that. Um, but to start with, actually, it was kind of I didn't know how to talk about it because I thought it was slightly stigmatic, especially in the career uh, law. You know, there's this pressure to be this perfect ideal candidate. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, they're going to it's going to really hold me back here because I'm not. I don't have the same sort of brain as someone else and you know someone who's going to get firsts or you know straight up A's in, in all of this that's not something that I can do in certain areas so I felt like I was at a disadvantage to start with. So that kind of leads us on to what Mahini wants to talk about so if I can pass there. Yeah thank you Lucy it's been really good to understand your background, so to speak, so we can read it in the context of how you've got to the position that you are and amazing, like kudos to you, because <laughs> I think it shows a lot of determination that you've persevered to get to where you are. Um, Thank you. 
You're welcome. Everything you've said has reminded me of a quote, and I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to quotes, so I'm going to share it with you guys. Um, It's Albert Einstein, and he said, everyone is a genius, but if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it's stupid. Mm. And I just love that quote because I think it's quite applicable here, because as you say, maybe if you are a neurodiverse person, you're going to think you have limitations, and then not realize how exceptional your other sides are so I think that's a quote that I wanted to share and also leads me on to my points so moving forward now that you had your diagnosis and you were at university did you find that once you came to terms with everything you were seeing the help that was there more at university was it something that became more clear to you and then afterwards moving into law what did you think the treatment and support was like there those are great questions and I actually love that quote as well it's one that I try and use actually to help people understand I think that there's so many problems surrounding you know society's version of what is normal or what to expect from normality and in reality that it doesn't work that way because we all have you know different strengths and weaknesses And I think um, at university, I was actually really blessed with my university that they had a really strong uh, learning support network. And, you know, when they did my report, it wasn't just, oh, you're dyspraxic, there you go. It it was, you know, you have dyspraxia. um, These are some reasonable adjustments um, that we can do for you. So we can give you 25% extra time in exams. Um, You know, they they brought in disabled students allowances has you know been an absolute lifesaver they they've they got me um a laptop with special software so it really helped with the cognitive side of dyspraxia because it's not always just the the physical side um which is really helpful um and a recording device as well so when i went to lectures um i i could keep up because that was another problem i was experiencing um i couldn't i just couldn't keep up because my my the way that my brain processed information just wasn't as quick um so that was so helpful because then i could obviously had the ability to be able to listen back and I felt like the universities um I I think it is going to be dependent on what university you go to but I definitely felt that Surrey was so supportive um and it was really it was really great uh because it helped me to see that this wasn't a massive disadvantage in my life and it was just something that I needed to work around um and I didn't actually know, but during my A-levels and GCSEs, I did develop workarounds because I quite, I realized I can't do this the same way. So I've always got really interesting study techniques that I kind of taught myself and just sort of having that acceptance from the university that like, it's a good thing that you are different and, you know, then you can work around it and find ways that suit you. Um, so that was really helpful. However, with law, I think in particular, there's a long way to go. Um, I think, you know, there is still this conception that, you know, high IQ is what is really important. I know certain scholarships I've seen for bar school or, you know, anything like that, or, you know, they want to be Oxbridge or they want some, some, you know, pupillages, they want a first. And I think things like that pose sort of instant barriers to someone who may not be able to do that. Um, and may not be able to get that but have other strengths Um, so I think I think there is a lot there is a lot long way to go in in kind of making it you know normalize I mean the biggest debate that we have in law is um, 
whether to disclose. And I think that speaks for itself. Like so many people are too nervous to disclose because they think that they will be at a disadvantage. And I know I certainly had that. It was only, you know, the first time I applied for scholarship, I was like, I'm not disclosing it. Um, and it embeds this kind of feeling of shame, um, which is just not, it's not on. And it came around to two years later, I went for scholarship again. And I thought, actually, I bought a book called um, The Power of Different, um, The Hidden Genius in Disabilities. And it just changed my whole perspective. Um, it goes into personality disorders as well, um, pretty much digests any learning disability and, and ways and to see that how exactly like your quote, um, Mahini, it was, it, it's exactly seeing how the ways that the education system actually didn't help you see the good in it. So I read that book and I thought, actually, I am going to disclose it this time, but I'm going to turn it around. I'm not just going to put it as a box saying, hey, look, I have dyspraxia. I said, you know, it's obviously a paraphrased version, but I thought, actually, it is pretty cool that I did got the grades I did at A-level and GCSE with undisclosed disabilities. I didn't have any support that I could have got. And that just shows my resilience as a person and my dedication to this profession. There have been barriers in place that I didn't allow to get to me and I didn't allow to feel, you know, feel too sorry for myself. And I think that that actually swayed the, um, the interview in my favor very strongly. And I think that, you know, helping individuals see the strengths in, in their disabilities and also the creativity it brings, you know, to be able to say to someone, okay, especially in law, okay, so maybe I don't have the quickest IQ going. However, my creativity means that I will find a case that maybe someone hasn't thought of before and interpret it in such a way that isn't just law interpreting, but it's law changing. And I think that saying stuff like that really kind of embraces the elements of your brain that make you who you are. And um, at the Neurodiversity in Law event, I loved one of the guests there. He spoke about how naturally good at problem solving people who are neurodiverse are. And I just found that so, so true um, because you're constantly having to find ways to work around the way that your brain works. Um, so, yeah, but I, I would like to see that reflected in law. I would love to see more um, not just in the bar, but in the solicitor world, more sort of support and more sort of seeing the strengths in it as opposed to just making it a tick box where they give you some sort of you know extra time and things like that because there's more to it than that there's you know we want to be embraced we don't just want to be accepted we want to have you know the way that our brain works seen as really as as exciting as someone with iq that's really high do you know what i mean yeah completely and i think it shouldn't be a knee-jerk reaction to just okay yeah extra time like as you say it should be okay, let's sit down and discuss how can we help you and what are you able to show us that is different about you and how that can really benefit us because there are hundreds of attributes that come with it, as you've said. Um, mm -hmm. It'd be really interesting to hear what your makeshift exam studying techniques were. I think students might <laughs> appreciate jumping on that bandwagon. Absolutely. So um, I love colors, everything that's bright. I just, I just always adapted around that. I remember at A-level a um, history, I was so extra. So I created this whole like vintage, like um, it was like an A5, like masterpiece of just everything about Charles the first that had ever existed and like drew pictures myself and made it so artistic. Um, and this one's the most random one. So I, I, rate, I, I write rap music based on my based on my um 
my studies so I like to incorporate cases and and I just make a rap out of it and I remember it because it, it everyone knows that memorizing lyrics is so easy but a memorizing exam paper isn't so I thought you know what I'm gonna turn it into a rap song I'm never gonna publish them <laughs> but yeah so that was kind of different I haven't heard anyone else who's done that maybe there is but that's something that I do and then flashcards colors on the flashcards so much of that um post-it notes everywhere I go you know where the places that I go the most so the kettle because I drink far too much coffee and that's where I put like things that I need to remember so every time that I go to get a coffee I see the information so it's just kind of repetitive because I don't have a brain that picks up on something the second I read it um so just going over that and finding ways that kind of suit my personality to study so yeah that's great I think it's definitely a preference thing and probably the first step for any student is figuring out what type of learner they are whether that's audio visual whatever helps them best and on, in terms of the song the only person I can think of that has done that is Hannah Montana with the bone dance I don't know if anyone remembers that. <laughs> you know she was actually a bigger source of my inspiration of course I love the bone dance <laughs> and yeah. I thought that was brilliant and I thought well I'll just do that then and it, and it works because you laugh at yourself as well like when you put like a lyric in it you know you're rhyming the, a case with some random legislation it just it just it makes you laugh and then you remember you laughing at it and then in the exam you're like oh yeah I remember that bar it was <laughs> it was this and then it just it just really helped and it makes it fun as well like I think some large part of revision is just not fun um, so making it fun, but you know, what you say about learning, what kind of learner you are is kind of step one. And I don't think we, we, we're taught that in the education system at all, exactly as you say, like we have to just be assessed by the same standard as everyone else. And, you know, that's just not, that can't, that can't be any longer. Cause then people that are so genius, but just in a different kind of genius are going to fall through the cracks. Definitely. Yeah injecting a bit of humor and self-deprecation as well like if the worst <laughs> yeah. scenario is that you're going to be chuckling to yourself in an exam but it does help you then go for it and don't really mind if your invigilator looks a bit confused I suppose <laughs> um I think that leads on quite well to Irini so I'll pass on to her student focused questions yeah and uh thank you Lucy for everything you've shared I think you've definitely broken down some stereotypes and kind of showed to our listeners as well that just not going to Oxbridge or whatever it may be doesn't mean you're not good enough. And I think that's very important. Um, I actually wanted to turn it a bit to any advice you have for any of our listeners who may be having suspicions that they might be neurodiverse. So what's the first step you would uh, give them to take as a suggestion? That's a great question. I think getting the diagnosis is so important. Um, you need that sort of eureka moment when you're like, okay, everything that I've done in my life kind of makes sense now. And, you know, some people do say that labeling doesn't help, but in this case, it really does because you can only sort of see the beauty in something once you've accepted it. And without a diagnosis, it's really hard to, to accept it. Um, so I think that it's super important to just get assessed. I, I'm pretty sure at most universities they do have that in their learning support body and I, I I mean I think it is just dependent on the university but I do think it's super important to just get assessed because at the end of the day what can you lose from that that you know if you and you have you have something then you get the beauty of learning how to adapt around that 
um, which is super important. Um, and that's the first step. And then the second step is just going beyond acceptance and actually embracing it and thinking, and I did this just with a mind map to start with. I was like, okay, how does this um, pose weaknesses in my life? And how does this give me strengths? And it's the strengths that you've got to take and run with. I think definitely it goes back to what you said before that it was a big sigh of relief when, once mm -hmm. you finally got diagnosed and realized that some problems you were having actually have a cause behind it. And I think you also kind of hinted to another question I wanted to ask, um, which is basically if anyone, once you get diagnosed, if you feel that you're having some anxiety or stress, trying to wrap your head around the fact that you're neurodiverse or, or that you're different, how would you advise someone to accept it and embrace it and be proud of who they are? Well, that's a great question. Um, well, I think that they're actually neuro, in, in neurodiversity, a lot of learning disabilities, for example, they come hand in hand with anxiety and that can actually be some of the symptoms because you're constantly thinking, why am I like this? So I think that once you get that first, that acceptance and then moving on from that, just kind of realizing that no one brain is the same at all. I just find that so mysterious and so exciting. So really exploring yours as opposed to like comparing it to someone else's it's, it's just the most, you know, worthwhile thing ever. And, you know, I know at first it does give you some anxiety because you're just like, oh, now I've got, a, you know, now I'm not going to be the same. But why would you want to be the same? I think I think that's kind of what I would say to that. Like there's there's so many normals. There's so many people with high, high IQ. There are so many people that go to Oxford and Cambridge, but there's only one you who can do what you do best. And you've just got to find what it is that you do best and really just embrace it a whole hundred percent of it um and people will pick up on that and people will be not only inspired by that but they'll also you know once the stigma changes it'll be a lot easier because currently there is still sadly some attachment to that but i do think it's getting better and i think because of that it goes hand in hand with the sort of self-work and the sort of individual process of thinking okay yeah so you can get a first but i can pluck apart a case and analyze the most random part of it and then make that into an argument um and it is just about that because you've always got something that someone else doesn't it's just about finding it that's very true and i also wanted to ask now um how have you seen law firms or whilst because i know you're doing the bar so while supplying for um, many pupillages or pupillages what kind of reasonable adjustments have you seen because of your neurodiversity um which any of our listeners who might be neurodiverse as well could use too I think that's that's where it's kind of lacking. I think at the moment it is just like a tick box thing. Like at the end of a application, I just see a quality and diversity questionnaire. And then it's kind of like, do you have a disability? What is that disability? And then there isn't, sometimes you'll get a box that says um, reasonable adjustments. And is there anything we can do to accommodate you? And I find that really refreshing, but actually a lot of the time it's still stuck at just ticking the box, which is why so many people don't want to disclose it. Um, so my advice there would just to be put it in the body of your argument. 
um, as to why not to sell yourself. I hate that phrase, but you know, your unique selling point. So instead of just ticking it at the end, um, if there's a question, you know, something like the classic, um, can you put a time where you've, you know, suffered from adversity and you've got over it, that kind of thing, putting it in there. Um, because that's not just about, you know, and, and so many people are just going to put, oh, there was this one time at work where, oh, this is one time during the course of my final year when I went for it, but not, not as many people are going to put, look, look, I'm a badass, right? Because I, <laughs> I went through all of this undetected exactly for so, so many years and still got good grades when other people didn't have that struggle. And, and that is resilience and resilience is the up and coming core skill that a lawyer needs because you're not going to win every case and you need to get back up and do the best thing for your clients yeah and i think also this kind of reminds me of the event you had um last month uh with one of the guests who had who was a bit scared of disclosing his mm -hmm. neurodiversity and uh i think in the end the message he kind of carried across was that his neurodiversity made him different mm -hmm. and made him unique. And um, I mean, he's at a magic circle firm now, so that's a really great message. Um, and my last question uh, was, any resources you would suggest for even neurodiverse people or non-neurodiverse people? So I think you, you mentioned a book um, earlier, if you can, if you have any other resources you would suggest or any other books? Yeah, no, great, great question. So um, that book I mentioned is called The Power of Different by Dr. Gail Saltz. Um, it's brilliant. It, it goes into depression, anxiety, um, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, autism everything and just try and it gives you like workable examples of how you can turn it around and i just found that book so eye-opening um in addition to that there is one particular podcast that i love it's called the psychology podcast but there was a specific episode i think it was about an hour or so um but with with a woman called susan baum um b-a-u-m i don't know if it's pronounced that way but it is now um and the the host of that is scott barry kaufman and he and, and that was just honestly the most stunning way to see neurodiversity and that's what that's what the episode is on it's on um and she's she's a scientist she's, she's looking into even developing the strengths and weaknesses even more so that people you know and trying to like put pressure on education systems to see that um and to change the way we see sort of normality and i just thought that that was honestly it was so empowering and it was just an hour whilst i was doing the dishes and i just that felt afterwards i was like wow this is so empowering um, and in law in particular there is a new organization called neurodiversity in law and they are actually doing so much and it's so welcoming i think it was literally a 2020 thing so it really gives me hope that this industry is going to be so much better um, and accommodate so much better and they do sort of pupillage clinics they do sort of training contract clinics specifically for neurodiverse people so it's creating kind of like a community that we haven't had before which is really nice. And I mean, speaking about what makes you different and, and figuring out what makes you different is just part of the kind of journey um, of embracing your neurodiversity. And even just that word, no one really said that word um, literally a few years ago. Um, I have a friend of mine who's autistic and he said that he thought that neurodiversity was just autism um, because he'd never heard of that word outside of the context because we're so used to seeing it as a weakness as opposed to a strength. 
Um, so I think, yeah, neurodiversity in law is doing so many good things and they will support you. And it's only five pounds for a student membership for an entire year. So um, that's great as well. And they really support you. You can contact them anytime and be like, look, I'm struggling with this. And how can you know, how can I work around it? And building workarounds is just the most vital thing. I'll just uh, drop a plug in as well to our listeners of your Instagram account, because uh, <laughs> uh, to anyone listening, Lucy has such an amazing Instagram account. She basically uh, posts books uh, um, and she gives like a small description um, of the book, which is really great and a great way to learn about new books to read. So, yeah, before I pass to Patricia. Oh, thank you. <laughs> making me blush (laughs) (laughs) I was about to do that as well I was quickly like looking up what it was (laughs) um I think Mohini wanted to ask something as well about allyship um Mm. because we've still got time yeah just a quick question so a lot of what you've said is kind of on self-discovery and Mm -hmm. self-acceptance kind of thing and I just wondered from a person of neurodiverse background how could their friends and family best support them in a way that's not obtrusive and pushy? I think that's a re- that's a really good question and I think listening is so important and also getting rid of any stigmas associated I know that there are parents out there that are ashamed that their child might be neurodiverse and 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 I've seen that you know my biological mother wasn't you know, she was very reluctant to see me have a diagnosis because she wanted to believe I was normal. Um, so she couldn't be the only one. There is a lot out of there and sort of the, the harmful stereotypes um, surrounding all disabilities, like ADHD is a really nasty sting to it. People are just like, oh, they're just constantly distracted. It is so much more than that. Um, autism, especially, you know, people throw around that so often and be like, oh, they're on the spectrum or, you know, just really harmful language that, you know, hasn't really been thought through. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's like we do with, with, with race and gender. I think we've got to go through a process of dismantling our own unconscious bias and just thinking, I mean, at the event, um, Oliver May, uh, the barrister who, who, who came, he sort of spoke about this time where someone, you know, compared being a barrister with disabilities with someone, I can't, I can't remember it, but someone being in a wheelchair and wanting to run or something like that. Um, and it is, there, that is the stereotype that people think, people think that, you know, it's a, it's a disadvantage and, and, you know, we can't just self-empower ourselves without other people thinking it's strength as well. And being, instead of when someone says, oh, you know, I've got dyspraxia, dyslexia, ADHD, autism, whatever it is, and being like, oh, and just kind of not wanting to, t- to, to touch it, say, oh, okay, how, how does that make your brain like work differently and actually be excited by it? Because the second I start talking about how exciting it, like, it is that I'm so creative, you know, people then want to learn even more because then they're like, oh, I wonder what it is about the brain specifically that makes her brain that way. Um, and just curiosity, we, we want people to embrace it. We don't want people to, you know, think, oh gosh, or anything like that. Like, and I think that's really helpful. I think self-knowledge is so important. And if everyone did that, we could really dismantle the stigma together. Thank you. That's a great answer. And I completely agree. I think a lot of it does come down to cultural rigidness, I suppose, mm, when people definitely their and they think that just because it's their culture it's the right thing to do and the right way to think and it clearly isn't because so many people feel isolated so I think at least people are starting to have these conversations a bit more and shed light on areas that we haven't really spoken about so 
thank you yeah, for that definitely. no no you're welcome i just love the word neurodiverse like i just love it because you know i never heard of that until i was sort of in the past couple of years and it, it by virtue of that word it, it it indicates celebration diversity is beautiful and just being able to be accepted as that as a part of instead of learn like disabled you know, just a difference in the, in the shift there. Because yes, it may be true that, you know, under the Disabilities Act, I am disabled in the same way someone else would be. It, that's, not, that's not the label I want from myself. I want neurodiverse as opposed to disabled per se. Um, and I think moving that shift and just the word itself is just so empowering. And I think it's going to, in the next sort of few years, it's going to be really, you know, a, a good time to see the kind of push in that. Mm, I think that's um, a really important thing to remember um, is that, allowing people who do have these disabilities or um, neurodiversities to take back ownership of what that is and define it for themselves rather than having those boxes to tick and being told what they are rather than you know deciding for yourself I think that's so important um uh, I don't think if there are no more questions to ask um I think we can wrap it up there then I this has been a really eye-opening um, podcast. I myself don't know that much about neurodiversity. Um, my, the Filipino side of my family are extremely like no towards anything that's not considered normal. Um, but all of that changed recently when my cousin was diagnosed as autistic, and oh, I was really, I was really surprised to see that my family was so like open and welcoming of that because previously they'd been so um I don't know how to say but maybe not PG about it mm -hmm. um and it's really nice to see the changes and that openness to how they can make his life better um and I think things like this should should be definitely spoken about more so yeah um I thank you so much for coming on this podcast um, thank you for having me honestly it's been it's been a pleasure and I'm so like glad to hear about um your family and, and the changing I think when we when we're in a situation where we can build compassion because it's someone we know and love I think that really prompts us to think okay maybe our societally you know indoctrinated view of normality is wrong yeah definitely in case anyone missed it um lucy's instagram account is bookcase of barns so feel free to give her a follow um and thank you as always to irene and mohini for co-hosting please look forward to our future event um there's also some information coming out about the event that you held lucy mm -hmm. do you, is is that Yes, so I'm, 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 I'm creating a little booklet actually of all the guest speakers and everything that they've said and also just some like fun facts like Harry Potter's dyspraxic um, all of these kinds of things to make it kind of just to see the beauty on it and some interviews from famous people who I have it like Cara, I can never pronounce her surname, De Delabine? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, things like that and just sort of bringing that all together. So look out for that in the new year. I've, I've been quite stressed with exams, so I haven't been able to put, do that yet. But when I do do it, I'll go all out. So, yeah, that would be super cool. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, everyone watch this space. Um, we'll also have some more podcasts coming in the rest of the year. I think we've got quite a busy schedule 
so um i suppose that's it for the podcast and we hope for you to listen to us again next time